0: (laughs) hold on hold on is this thing on? hold on that was a setup from the beginning so those of you that stood thank you but you should be ashamed of yourself that's really uncomfortable there are many reasons to like Alan Franz that is not one of them Now I'm angry. Uh, So what's the most uh, uncomfortable? Uncomfortable. What's the most valuable thing that you have ever lost? What's the most valuable thing that you have ever lost? I lose things all the time. I I can't keep up with anything. You know, I I spend an inordinate amount of time looking for my wallet, my keys, and/or my phone. I, I am always looking for things. I think it was, it was my brother, I think, they got a, that got a little device. Maybe some of you have it that, like, I think it puts a thing on your keyring, and then maybe there's, like, a phone app. So, like, if you lose your keys, you push the phone app, and it, it'll make your keys beep. Some of you are taking notes, like, okay, where do I get this? Um, or it works the other way, too. I think you can push the button on the keys, and it makes your phone beep. My problem is, what if you lost both things? That's where I'm at. I'm always losing things. I, I spend so many times, I have so much time looking for things. What's the most valuable thing that you have ever lost? Um, yesterday, I was my own sermon illustration uh, because we're getting ready to go to my son's basketball game and I could not find my Aggie ring anywhere. I was looking for this Aggie ring everywhere. When we got home from the game, I told the kids before we got out of the van, I told them, the first person who finds my Aggie ring Get a piece of candy. Boy, they got after it. They weren't very smart because they were looking in the same places, but they, they were looking all over for that thing. But then, kind of in the, the crease of the couch, I found the Aggie ring. And so, do you know what I proclaimed? I'm not making this up. This is not like a, a preacher story. This actually happened. I declared from the top of my lungs, I declared candy for everyone. Like, I found it. Exactly. Exactly. So, man, that was was a great, great, great thing that I found that ring. There was much rejoicing. um, And I was glad. What's the most valuable thing that you have ever lost? My Aggie ring is not the most valuable thing I've ever lost. The most valuable thing that I've ever lost was one time I lost the church band. (laughs) So here's the thing. I was a youth pastor in Seguin for several years, and one of the things we loved to do is we loved to take the, the seniors to a, like a senior dinner. Um, and Seguin is right near San Antonio, not, not a real far drive. We would go to, to the Riverwalk, um, and we'd go down there, and we would walk around. We'd pick a restaurant. I'd tell them they could get just about anything off the menu they wanted, um, and then we'd wander around, get ice cream, just kind of wander around the Riverwalk. It was a good time. Um, you know, all sorts of things to do down there synchronized swimming in the, the river walk. I don't know. There's all kinds of things you could do um, down there. But one time we went and we got turned around because we couldn't pick a restaurant. You know, when you kind of know where you park and you kind of know we went this way, we went to a restaurant, but we started kind of like second guessing our restaurant choice. And we started going to different places and we got turned around. And before we knew it, I had no idea where the church van was. That That's not a good thing. Um, so, so we were, we were, in fact, there was one kid that was like, look, it's down this road. I'm like, are you, are you sure? It's like, I, I got this. Like, I got this. It's fine. So we walked 15 minutes down this road and then it dead ends. No church van. He's like, oh, I meant the other way. We had to turn around and go the other way. And we found the church van. It was all fine. But when, when we found the church van, there was much celebration. There was much rejoicing candy for everyone, Right. Um, that, there was much, you know, like um, when you see uh, like on a movie or something, there's some people that are are shipwrecked or on, they're on a boat that's in a storm and then they finally make it to land and they, they get on the land and they're crawling and they're like kissing the sand. That's how these seniors were when we found the church van. They're like kissing the church van because we finally found our ride home. Um, what's the most valuable thing that you have ever lost? And when you found it, if you found it, uh, I, I have success stories. Um, if you found it, what, how did you feel? How did you respond? What was the emotion in you? There was, there was relief, but more than that, there was joy and rejoicing and, and gladness. Well, th- this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, what we're going to find is we're going to find three stories About four things that are missing. Three stories about four things that are missing. And what we're going to do is we're going to read and talk and read and talk. And we're going to move really fast because i got to get through a large portion of text. um, But what I really want to do is I want to have time at the end. What we're going to do is we are going to extol the love of God together. We're going to see illustrated before our eyes the love of the Father. And I want to make sure we have plenty of time to worship that's what we're going to do. So Luke chapter 15, start with me in verses 1 and 2. This will be kind of the backdrop for the stories. Okay, so verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. All right. So these two verses are the setup for the three stories that are going to be told. We, we understand what Jesus is driving at with the stories that we hear by understanding this backdrop in the first two verses. Okay, so what we find out in these first two verses, there's two categories of people. There's the Pharisees and the scribes. That's category number one. Now for us, um, when we hear Pharisees, we're like, Boo, those are the villains. And we know those are the villains because we see how Jesus um, kind of explains to us their hypocrisy and what's going on in their hearts. Um, but in those days, they wouldn't have booed when they heard the Pharisees. They weren't the villains. The Pharisees were the religious heroes. I wish I could be like them. I, I wish I could be as holy as they are holy. They, they made rules that helped them keep the rules. Like, you don't get holier than that. I want to be like the Pharisees. That, they were the heroes of the day. Then you have this other category of people. Um, the text calls them tax collectors and sinners. Now, tax collectors were not liked by the people. And we don't have time to explain all of the historical details of why that's the case. But it was more than just people don't like to pay taxes. It was more than that. It was, it was more like um, tax collectors were Jewish men who had teamed up with the occupying Roman army... And they collected the funds that kept that Roman army well-suited to do their job in Israel. They, they were not liked. They were hated. And they were viewed as rejected by God. Also a part of this category of people, not just the tax collectors, but it was also this category of people called sinners. Sinners. The, the word sinners here is like a uh, the way that it's used here is like a category, like a catch-all for a group of people that everybody else viewed as rejected by God. So you've got um, uh, adulterers, or you've got, um, you've got uh, prostitutes, or you've got, um, in the first century mind, anybody who had some sort of physical disability was rejected by God. Now, we know that's not the case. That's wrong thinking. Just because you have a disability, that does not indicate anything about your relationship with God. But in their mind, that person has a disability, so that person must be rejected by God. So this this term sinners actually is just a group of people that the holy people over here viewed as, as rejects. So tax collectors and sinners. God's rejects. God's done with them. He's finished with them. Their sin has been too great. Off they go. So, so the backdrop for the story is this. Jesus invites the tax collectors and sinners to hang out and to hear him teach and to have a meal. And and frankly, to party together. That's, that's what they do. And the Pharisees are standing over here grumbling. They have been rejected by God. Who do you think you are, Jesus, that you receive them? And so to that, Jesus, he's like, well, I got three stories to tell you. And so what we're going to do, we're going to fast forward through the first two, and then we're going to really dive into the third. The first one goes like this. You've probably heard it before. There's a shepherd. He's got a hundred sheep. One of them goes missing. What does he do? Well, too bad, lost a sheep. Is that how the shepherd acts? No. What the shepherd does is it says he leaves the 99 behind. And he goes and he hunts down that other sheep until he finds it. And then when he finds it, what do they do? Celebrate. Candy for everybody. Right? They celebrate. Because he's found the missing sheep. There's another story. There's, there's a lady. She's got 10 coins. Each one of these coins is worth a day's wage. However much you perceive that to be you're right. Let's just say you're right. There's 10 coins, a day's wage. Each one of them is worth that. And one of them goes missing. What does she do? Oh, well lost a coin. That's not what she does. The Bible says she turns her house upside down and she sweeps up until she finds that missing coin. And when she finds the missing coin, what does she do? She calls the neighbors candy for everybody. I found the coin I'm missing. There's great celebration and rejoicing. There, there was is two stories and two missing things. What I want to do is I want to dive into the third story. We're going to start in verse 11. So if you've got your Bible, look with me, Luke 15. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to read a little. We're going to talk a little. And it's, this is going to be great. Okay, here we go. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of of property that is coming to me and he divided his property between them now as we look at this story together what i want us to do is i want us to put ourselves many of you have probably heard this story a million times and so what i want us to do i want us to put ourselves um in the shoes of of a first century person who's hearing this for the first time and and think about how they must have thought about what jesus was saying because these first two verses, they show us something that, that the first century hearers, they, they, would have been, they would have been shocked. They would have been shocked. See, what happens in, in the first century, a man uh, would leave as an inheritance his property to his sons. And his firstborn son would get a double portion. So in this case, he has two sons. So if you do the math and square root of 64, carry the four, that two-thirds goes to the firstborn. Some of you are like trying to do the math. I, I'm sorry. Two thirds goes to the firstborn. One third goes to the younger brother, right? And so what happens is the younger brother comes to the father and says, Give me my third. Now, now think about that. What does what he say? When do you get the inheritance? You get the inheritance when the father dies. So the younger son has gone to his father and said. I don't care about you. I just want the stuff. Why can't you already be dead? You're not dead. Can you just give me my stuff? I just want my stuff. First century hears would have been like, and then he punched him in the face. Like they 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 would they were expecting the story to go a different way than Jesus takes it. It says it says that the the father divided it up and gave him his third. Well, that's not the way that should have gone down, but that's what the father did. All right, And so then the story continues. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So so the younger son, it, it was it was um, possessions and it was land. That was the inheritance. Uh, so what he must have done is he must have sold it all, or maybe the father sold it for him, and he took the cash. He goes to another country, and he parties hard. And, and it says that he wasted all of it in reckless living. Now, many of you know this story, uh, you know it as the, the prodigal son. But if I were to ask you, define the word prodigal, I think many of you would say, well, like wayward. Like he's, he's kind of gone off the path. He's, he's wayward. That's not what the word prodigal means at all. The word prodigal, actually, it, it means reckless. It means, it means extravagance to the point of wastefulness. Now do you see why he's called the prodigal son? It's not just that he's wayward. It's that he's reckless in his living. So he goes off and he, he blows everything. He blows it all. And then verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. That's bad timing because he hits what he thinks is rock bottom and then the economy tanks and now he needs a job and there's not many jobs to be had. And so what he thought was rock bottom wasn't. And he goes even further and now he needs a job. So he went. Verse 15, he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. That's rock bottom. Because he's a Jewish man, Jews don't have anything to do with pigs. If you have something to do with pigs, that makes you unclean before God. Jews don't handle pigs, and yet he needed to eat. So he goes and he works with pigs. And rock bottom, I would say this, rock bottom is seeing what the pigs are eating and saying, man, I could really go for some of that right now. He he wished he could eat what the pigs were eating. He is rock bottom. Man, I I don't know. I don't know people in this room. uh, I don't know you as as intimately as, as, maybe others. But, but the thing is like, I bet people in this room, you know, rock bottom, like maybe you hit that before. And I mean, to be honest, there's, you know, 400 people in the room. I bet you there's some people in the room that would probably, if they were bold enough, they'd say, I'm rock bottom right now. This this is the lowest that it gets. You understand the emotion that's going on um, in him, rock bottom bottom, but it's in verse 17 that the story starts to turn. This is a beautiful thing. Jesus is a master storyteller. This is where it starts to turn upside down. It says, when he came to himself, when he came to himself, that's an idiom. And what that word, what that really means is when he came to his senses, like when he zoomed out and looked at the situation as kind of an outsider. He's like, Oh, obviously, here's what I should do. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I could go work for my dad and I'd eat better than this. I mean, I'd have to swallow my pride, but I could go work for my dad and eat better than this. I don't need to put up with this. And so he formulates a plan. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. I want you to notice that. Pay pay uh, special attention to that. He doesn't say, I'll go back to my hometown. Or, I'll go back to my family. or I'll go back to my old way of living. That's not what he says. He says, I will go back to my father. It's to my father that I'm returning. I will go back to my father. And I will say, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So, what's the plan? His plan is to go back to his father, and then he's got a speech he's rehearsed. You guys ever been in trouble? Like, you ever, like, break the lamp, or you ever, um, like, wreck the car, or, like, you backed into something, and you're like, all right, I gotta tell him. And so, you, like, start rehearsing a speech. You ever done that before? You've done this before. You, you rehearse a speech, and you're like, so what had happened was, you're like rehearsing this thing. Like, here's what's about to take place. I gotta tell the truth. They're gonna see the tent in the car. They're gonna know the lamp is broken. I can't get to Ikea fast enough to get a different one that looks the same. Like, I gotta tell them. So he's, he's rehearsing this speech. He's rehearsing this speech, and his speech is, I really screwed up. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I've really screwed up. And his plan is this Can I work for you and I'll pay you back? Like, I'll get this job and I'll be able to eat. I don't have to wish I could eat what the pigs are eating, but, but then I'll pay you back. Like, you don't have to pay me. I'll just, you can use that to, to restore what I took. That's his plan. And so verse 20, he arose and he came to his father. Imagine, so you're a first century person. You're listening to the story for the first time and this God has this plan. He's going to return to his father. And, and, and you're thinking this. Oh, man, his father's going to bust him good. Like, I can't wait to see what this knucklehead gets what's coming to him. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait for the retribution. I can't wait for the, just, the justice to be doled out. The way that he treated his father deserves punishment. I can't wait to see it. And you imagine this story taking place. And, and you imagine this man, like, he's, he's walking through the Middle East, Right? He's walking through the desert. He's walking over hills and mountains. And the whole time he's rehearsing this speech. I've got to get it right. i got to say it. I've got to say exactly what I, I was planning to say. He's rehearsing the speech. He's, he's getting nervous, right? Because that's a hard conversation to have. And so he's got butterflies and he's walking. And, and, and here it is. This, this is where the whole thing just flips upside down. All right? This, this is beautiful. This is incredible. I can barely handle it. It says, he arose, he came to his father, and then it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's not the way the story should go. That's not the way it should go. There should be more punching. There should be more yelling. That's not the way the story should go. But Jesus tells us, this is the way the story happened. It, I, and I love it. I love it. For, I noticed three things there. The first thing I noticed, it says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that the father was waiting. He was watching. He was watching those hills off in the distance. He was waiting for his son to return. And I want you to notice something. How long does it take? To take a third of your father's property possessions, sell it, take the cash, go to another country, blow all of it, hit rock bottom or what you think is rock bottom, then have to get a job and realize, nope, this is rock bottom. I wish I could eat what the pigs were eating. That's pretty bad. Come to your senses, work up the nerve to go back home from another country. How long does that take you? Months? Years? However long that takes, that's how long the father had been watching those hills. He's waiting for his son to return. Just waiting, waiting. One day he's going to walk over those hills. It also says that he had compassion. Do you know what that communicates to me? That, that tells me that he knew, he knew what his son had done. He might have sent some servants to go kind of watch and, and report back what was going on. There may have you know. Things travel. might have been through the grapevine. He finds out what his son is. He knew what his son was doing. He knew it. When he saw him, there was no anger or malice or retribution. There was compassion. And then it says that he he took off running and he hugged and he kissed his son. He loved his son. He was rejoicing that he was back. Now, first century hearers are like, Jesus, there's no way that's what happened. Because first century patriarchs don't run. They don't run. A very different reason from the reason I don't run. Uh, I don't run because I don't like it. They don't run because what they, they're they wearing a dress. Let's just be honest. You can call it a robe all you want. It's a dress. They're wearing a dress. And in order for a male to run, you got to like... Pick up your dress, right? It's not the most manly thing. So they they don't they don't run, and they don't embrace, and they don't kiss. In fact, one commentator says it this way: He wasn't acting like a first century father; he was acting like a first century mother. But the father didn't care what he looked like. His son was back. It's time to rejoice. It's time to celebrate. And so, what does he say? He, yeah, what, what's going to happen? He ran and embraced him. verse 21. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's got this speech and he's getting ready to go. And the father interrupts him. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And I father interrupts. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and the shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The son's got his speech all worked up, and he's been working on it a long time. And he's like, all right, here we go. This is my time to shine. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's getting ready to go with the the punchline, and the father interrupts. I don't want to hear your speech. You're home. Let's celebrate. Candy for everybody. Right? He's celebrating. He's excited that his son has returned. Man, and as, as I look at this, I think, okay, the first story ended with the sheep being found in a celebration. And the second story ended with a coin being found in a celebration. This story really needs to end here, right? The son has been found. Celebration. That's, that's how it should end, but it's not. If you remember Jesus, he was telling stories to this story to the Pharisees. The self-righteous people who thought he should not receive those people. They've been rejected by God. Jesus is telling them this story. So he's like, all right, you ready for your part in the story? Here we go. This is the way the story ends. Remember I told you there were, there were three stories and four lost things. I told you three stories and three lost things. Here's the fourth lost thing. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field." And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He's out working in the field there's a party going on. He hears it happening. He you know, gets out his phone and he checks his calendar. There's no party on the schedule today. What, what is, what, what's happening? He calls the servant. What, what's going on? What, what am I missing? His servant says to him, verse 27, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. How would you respond? You're the older brother. How would you respond? Some of you have like younger siblings who don't do dumb things. Like, you know how you would respond. We're going to celebrate that guy. That's really what we're going to do after all he's done. Look how he responds. Verse 28. But the older brother was angry. And refused to go into the party. He's angry. For a lot of reasons. One of them being the party is at his expense. You understand what what has taken place. One third of the father's property had gone to the younger son and he blew it all. So the two thirds that left, that's left, who does that belong to? The older one. So everything that's left over belongs to the older brother. And yet we're going to take the ring and we're going to take the robe. We're going to take the fattened calf. We're going to take these new shoes and we're going to give them to the younger brother. The older brother's like, that's my stuff. He already had his. That's my stuff. And so look, look what happens. It says that the father came out and entreated him like, please come into the party. But look how the older brother responds. He answered his father. Look. Man, I don't know about you. You don't, you don't talk to your dad like that. Like you don't say, "Look," and like the tone of this verse is, "Look, you." You you don't talk to your father that way. First century hearers are thinking, and then he slapped him across the face. Right? Look, you. He doesn't say father. He doesn't say sir. He says, "Look." These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, not my brother, when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Man, that that older brother is just as lost as the younger brother. He thought with his, with, with his obedience, with his rule keeping, that he could twist the father's arm into doing what he wanted. I've done everything you've asked of me, and yet you won't celebrate me. Oh man, he's just as lost. And, and, and what I want you to pay careful attention to here is the father's response. The father said to him, son. What, what did, what did the, the older son say to his father? Look. And he spoke to him that way. What did did the father say back to him? Literally, that word means, my little child. He didn't smack him across the face. He says, my little child, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Literally, there's only two-thirds left, and it's all his. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's the end of the story. Did the older brother go into the party or not? We don't know. I said it before, Jesus is a master storyteller. This is all a setup for the Pharisees. Are you going to come into the party or not? Are you going to come celebrate those who were lost and are now found? Are you going to celebrate them or not? He's a master storyteller. Well, this morning I have a few questions for you. As we consider this story, I have a few questions for you to consider. Number one is this. Who is lost? Who is lost? As we look at this story, I told you there's two lost people. There's the younger brother. He was lost in a very public way. Everybody knew it. Everybody could see. He's lost. There's like little arrows pointing at him that say, lost. He was lost. But as we said, the older brother was just as lost, but his lostness was a little more private. His lostness was more in his heart. And you can't really see that, especially when they're really good at keeping rules. His lostness was self-righteousness. But he was just as lost from his father. He was just as separated from his father as, as the younger brother was. My question for you is, who is lost? In this room right now, Who is lost? The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that tells me that every single person in this room has experienced lostness. That you either right now are lost or at some point in your life in the past you were lost. But then Jesus found you. My question is who in this room is lost? Who is separated from? from the Father. I'd be willing to bet in this room right now there's a group of people who have never trusted in Jesus. You've never committed to follow after Him. The Bible would say that you're lost and it's time to return to your Father by trusting in His Son, Jesus. But there's another group of people, man, as I think about it, I think about, um, there's a group of people who, who maybe have been saved like you trusted in Jesus and you committed to follow after Him, but your life right now, you're not following after Jesus. Maybe you're good enough to like be at church and maybe be at ABF and, and, and maybe kind of keep your language under control. And you're good enough to kind of like do that, but you're not following after Jesus. You might have your picture back there in the baptistry and your face is up there. And every time we baptize somebody, everybody sees your face. But you're not following after Jesus. You're lost. You're separated from the Father. You're lost. Some of you might be lost in, in, in very public ways. Everybody can tell. But others of you, oh, you're real good at hiding. And you're lost in a very private way. My question is, who is lost? And uh, my guess is that if you're lost in this room, you know it. And you're like, does he want me to raise my hand? No, I don't need you to raise your hand. But, but you know it. I'm not walking after Jesus. I'm separated from the Father. I'm lost. My first question was, who is lost? My second question is this. How does the father treat lost things? As we look at this story, just pulling it straight out of the story, how does the father treat lost things? He doesn't scold them for being lost. When the younger son comes home, he doesn't say, how dare you? Who do you think you are? I know what you did. Yeah, of course you're going to serve. Uh, You're lucky I'm even taking you back. Who do you think you are? That's not what the father does. What does he do? He was waiting for him to come back. And as soon as he saw his son come over that horizon, he takes off running. And he has compassion on his son. Well, how does he treat the older son who was also lost? How does he treat him? He comes to his father and he says, look you. How does the father respond? who do you think you are to talk to me that way? I'm your father. Is that what he says? No. My little child. Come on. Please, please, says he entreated him. Please just come in the party. He doesn't scold lost things for being lost. The Next thing I notice is that he doesn't demand reparation. He doesn't demand restitution or repayment. He doesn't demand those things from the lost. That's not what he does. When when the son comes and he's got a plan like, I'm going to pay you back, the father's like, you're not going to pay me back. No, we're not doing that. He doesn't demand restitution or being paid back. He gives the older son a free invitation into the party. I realize that you're angry and I realize that your heart is not in the right place. Can we just forget it and come on in the party? He doesn't demand reparation or restitution, but he does require repentance. It's not like he just sweeps everything under the rug and pretends like it didn't happen. He demands repentance. And you see repentance in the younger son. It says he came to his senses. He realized what was going on, and he says, I've, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. And he says, I want to make it right. That, that's, that's repentance. That, that's an about faith. That, that's really what repentance means, about faith, to turn the other direction, turn away from sin, and turn towards God. And you see the repentance in the younger son, and the father receives him. He doesn't scold for being lost. He doesn't demand reparation, but He does require repentance. But how how does the Father treat lost things? He receives them. He restores them. He rejoices over them. So this morning, here's how we're going to respond. I ask the question, who is lost? And and some of you are thinking, I am. Here's here's what I want to communicate to you. I want to communicate to you the love of the Father. It's like He's standing there just watching those hills. He's just watching those hills, waiting for you to come back. Waiting for you to return. He's watching and He's waiting, just, just chomping at the bit, looking for an opportunity to celebrate that you've returned. Some of you need to repent of your sin and return to the Lord for the first time. Others of you, you you trusted the Lord a long time ago, but you've been running. You might be running in a public way or running in a private way, but you've been running. The Father's watching. He's waiting. Just waiting for you to return. And so this morning might be the morning that you need to return. And you need to tell the Father, whether that means you just stay in your chair when we sing, you just tell the Father right there, or you come forward at at these steps, and you tell the Father there, or you need some help and you want to talk to somebody, they can help you tell the Father, I'm coming back. I'm repenting, I'm turning away from all that stuff, I'm coming back. And that's one way that we're going to respond. But another way that you might respond this morning is as you understand the love of the Father, you might need to model the love of the Father in some of your relationships. Maybe it's a child or maybe it's a spouse or a coworker, or a friend or some other family member or something like that. You need to model the the. Love of the Father. Somebody has wronged you, sinned against you, um, and you're just waiting to scold. You're just you're just waiting to make them pay it back so that justice can be served. But maybe this morning what God's telling you is, nope. That's not how this gets handled. We're not going to demand repayment. There needs to be repentance. But we're not going to demand restitution. And we're not going to scold. We're going to receive and restore and rejoice. And here's the third way that we're going to respond together. We're going to take just a few moments. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing a couple of songs. I told you at the beginning, once we get a look at the love of the Father, we're going to want to extol Him. We're going to want to make Him famous. We're going to want to just sing at the top of our lungs and tell Him, Your love is great and big and wide and long. There is nothing like your love, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to stand and we're going to sing louder than this church has ever sung before, because we are thinking about it and we're understanding the love of the Father, the love that restores and receives and, and rejoices when the lost are found. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. The band can come forward. I'm going to pray, and and you guys need to respond one way or another. It might be standing and singing. It might be staying in your chair. It might be coming forward and praying at the steps. It might be finding the prayer team or the elders up front and praying with them. But nobody's not responding. Everyone is responding. Let's pray together.